Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Solar is still a very important part of who we are, but it, sh- it should stand for more than, than solar only. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I am thrilled that you've chosen yet again to spend this time with me, and I'm excited to bring you today's guest. Julia Hamm has been leading SEPA for more than 15 years and helped bring the utility photovoltaic group, as it was once known, into its transition to be the Smart Electric Power Alliance, what many refer to as SEPA. Along the way, she helped birth Solar Power International and has supported dozens of utilities in their transition to clean energy. This interview took nearly two years to materialize, and I can promise you it was well worth the wait for me and for you. Julie and I didn't even get to finish this interview, but in this part one, you will gain insight into how Julia rose through the ranks to become one of the leading voices, female or male, in our nation's transition away from fossil fuels. I can't wait to hear your feedback as you learn from Julia Hamm's inspiring story. You'll find more than 160 other inspiring and influential leaders' stories over at mysuncast.com. Hey, while you're there, you can check out the Suncast Tribe or subscribe to our newsletter so that you know what's going on and when every episode gets published. For now, get ready for another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Okay, Solar Warriors, today we get a chance to chat with a true leader inside and outside the Beltway. Julia Ham is a visionary nonprofit leader who's been at the center of the transformation of our electric power sector and the modernization of our grid for more than two decades. She currently leads an organization that you probably are familiar with, goes by the letters SEPA. She has silently, in many ways, been a force within our industry for the change that we all seek, representing us helping to bridge the gap that exists between our industry and we'll call it the legacy industry, the utilities who hold the keys to the kingdom in many cases. And today we're going to dig in with Julia a little deeper to understand how SEPA and the research, education, and activities that her organization is engaged in is providing a foundation for the industry that we all call home. Julia Hem, welcome to Suncast. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Here we are. In beautiful San Juan, Puerto Rico. You've been here a few times, eh? <laughs> I, I have. This has become my second home over the past couple of years. <laughs> I love it. I was just mentioning offline that you're one of the few leaders in the industry who, who after especially Hurricane Maria, has staked a claim in Puerto Rico and really, I feel, has a vested interest in seeing our brethren here be able to harness the power of the work that we do, Right. But it didn't uh, obviously begin two years ago with Hurricane Maria or even 10 years ago. But I've just learned that you've been with SEPA for 20 years. 
is there a time that we might discuss prior to SEPA that is worth uh, understanding that would help us really get a picture of why you would dedicate two decades to an organization like SEPA? So, you know, I actually fell into the industry. I went to Cornell for college and I was a business management and marketing major. I came down to DC for my first job, which had nothing to do with the energy industry and I found it incredibly boring. So dating myself, we've already said I've been in the industry for 20 years, so people could do the math. But mm-hmm. back in that day, before online ads, I answered an ad in the Washington Post that was a printed ad in the newspaper that was literally probably less than 20 words for an entry-level marketing position. I had no idea what industry it was in. And it turned out it was a job at SEPA. So that was how I got involved. But you know, a lot of people assume that I'm the founder of the organization, yeah. but in fact, I'm not. And there's actually a really interesting, and this I think this is a great nugget for your listeners, there is a great story about SEPA and its roots in the solar industry. So when we were founded in 1992, we were originally called the Utility Photovoltaic Group, UPVG. And we were created by a group of utilities, the EEI, APPA, the Electric Power Research Institute, and DOE, who all knew that at some point in time, solar was going to be relevant to utilities and their customers. But back then, in 1992, there was no grid-connected solar market in the U.S. There was no industry here. So the Department of Energy and, and these utility groups came together and said, let's form an organization that is going to help really with research development and demonstration projects to help get this industry off the ground and help utilities learn about the technology. So what most people don't know is that the first 1,100 grid-connected PV systems in the country were were actually funded by SEPA through a public-private partnership with the Department of Energy. So it was called, the acronym was TEAMUP, Technology Experiences to Accelerate Markets in Utility Photovoltaics. And so there were 36 teams that got funding. Every team had to have a utility on it. And the money that went through this program that Seabird administered was a hardware buy-down program. So we actually paid for the PV systems. And in return, the teams had to provide all of their data, their performance data, O&M data, cost data, a couple of other categories of data back to us. And we did all of the analysis on it and reported it back out to the industry. And so... This is what most people don't know, that SEPA actually is the entity that jump-started the U.S. grid-connected solar market. So a lot of the early players, PowerLite, before it became SunPower, you know, all of the early funding for PowerLite came from the TMUP program funded through SEPA, funded by the Department of Energy. I love that you didn't even know what you were responding to in, <laughs> in the Washington Post. Yeah. A sim- it reminds me of a similar story. Are you familiar with Tara Doyle from PowerLite, mm-hmm. SunPower? Yep. She's now mm-hmm. at PVEL. She told a story recently on her episode how she was working at a temp agency and was given a temp job at a company called Powerlight. Uh-huh. And she was walking <laughs> through Berkeley looking for a lamp manufacturing company. Because <laughs> all down, there's like all these uh, showrooms for lighting. Mm-hmm. And she thought that she was going to work as a temp for a lighting company. <laughs> it's hilarious. Yeah. And, and that, that story is all too common, actually, in our industry where people unwittingly find themselves in these vehicles for, for change. But you have been involved with SEPA for, for 20 years, but you haven't been at SEPA for 20 years. There's a little break. Tell me a little bit about that break and why you left, what skills you feel like you gained and why then you came back. So I was 
with SEPA for a handful of years and, you know, just decided again, like many young professionals in their mid twenties felt like it was time to try something different. I went to ICF, uh, what's now ICF International, and I was supporting um, the EPA with Energy Star product marketing and uh, loved it. ICF is a phenomenal company, but I realized personally that working at a mid to large size consulting company just wasn't for me. I realized I was much better suited to be somewhere smaller that had a sort of different environment. And it coincidentally just so happened that the SEPA board of directors while I was at ICF, had been reevaluating the way in which they had been managing the organization, decided to determinate the contract with the management company. And so they came and sought me out and asked if I would come back as the first actual employee of SEPA in early in 2004. Wow. So I became... Well, SEPA had been around since 1992. I took over as its first actual employee of January 2004 and really start restarted the organization from scratch. I mean, we had been around, but the program, the team up program I was just talking about had ended at that point. The organization really needed to reinvent itself. So when I took back over in 2004, it was a matter of taking a step back and saying, what does the industry need at this point in time? What can SEPA do that's of value? And really, that's where Solar Power International was born from, because as soon as I came back... It was obvious to me that the industry had grown to the point where it could support and would benefit from a trade show. And so while there had been a variety of solar conferences in the U.S. previously, there had not been a substantial trade show for the industry. So in 2004, that was when I founded SPI, invited SIA to partner with us on that. And then obviously it's grown into its own giant beast since then. One of the distinguishing factors for true leaders and organizations is the ability to build uh, like, like building blocks, like a mm-hmm. house, Yep. the skills that you learn each level that you get up. And it's fascinating to me that you left from a predominantly marketing and maybe even admin coordination mm-hmm. role yep. into a management consulting firm, a world renowned, recognized management consulting mm-hmm. firm. What do you feel you gained from that experience that helped you relaunch SEPA? You know, certainly the client service aspect of it. I mean, EPA was my client. So it was a very different environment to sort of have to learn about, you know, how do you work with your peers within the consulting company, but all in service of the client. And, you know, I think that that really shaped my thinking, you know, because it's, it's relevant, I think, no matter where you are, whether you're at a company where you have customers or in the case of SEPA, where you have members and a board of directors, you're always yeah. in service of someone. Yeah. So I think that experience working at ICF and having EPA as sort of my single predominant client right. was useful. But I think that, you know, the biggest thing I took away from my experience at ICF was that every one of the people that I worked with at the company were phenomenal. Everybody was smart. Everybody was driven. So I think that's probably actually the biggest thing I took when I went back to lead SEPA is because I came back to SEPA and sort of started over as employee number one and have built a relatively large team since then. And I think that really shaped my thinking on just really recognizing that it's the importance of having the best, smartest people surrounding you. I want my team to be all A players. I don't need B and C players. I need A players. And everybody needs to be equally as good at their job, but with different skill sets and different expertise to complement one another. But I think that that probably was one of the biggest takeaways for me was 
really, you know, to, to shape how I thought about hiring the team. I just want to say for the record that if you're listening to this and you're an employee at SEPA, this is totally unscripted. <laughs> uh, we did not plan on her patting you on the back and, and giving you such kudos. Uh, it, it, goes, it goes without saying, obviously, that if you are able to work at an organization at the level of SEPA and SIA today, you have to be at the top of your game. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot at stake, a lot at stake. Which brings me to the point that SEPA has evolved a lot over two decades. Mm -hmm. Many may even be wondering who had no clue what SEPA was coming into this conversation, what the hell does SEPA even mean? When I got in the industry in 2005, it was the Solar Electric Power Association, yep. right? Today, it's called... Smart Electric Power Alliance. Smart Electric Power Alliance. <laughs> now, this sounds on the surface to be just fancy speak for um, we're going to begin to figure out how to bring storage in and we don't want to just serve the utility. I don't want to downplay this because genuinely, and I told you this before, I think that what is essentially a rebrand of SEPA, I think that you guys have pulled it off as well as anybody has in our industry. Calsa is doing a phenomenal mm -hmm. job as well. Mm -hmm. Help me understand the need. What is the relevant need for a trade association to broaden the horizon, so to speak, and to rebrand? And I just, again, want to give you kudos. I think that you guys have done a phenomenal job in the messaging mm -hmm. across the board in terms of branding and, and re imagining what SEPA does in the industry. Yeah, thanks. Well, let me first just explain a little bit. So you reference SEPA as a trade association. In fact, we're not a trade association. And that's one of those things. It's, it is nuanced, but it's important. Perfect. Because SEPA is, and you know, no one wants to get into tax designations. <laughs> it's not the most exciting topic in the world. But essentially, trade associations exist to serve the interests of their members. Mm. SEPA is a different tax status. We are a, essentially, a, by the IRS designated as a charitable organization. Uh -huh. we, we are a mission-driven organization that happens to have members that support our mission. We do not exist to serve the interests of our members, whereas a trade association does exist to serve the interests of its members. So again, it's a nuanced but important distinction. But going back to your point about the rebranding, I mean, yes, rebranding was part of it, but it was really about expanding the mission. As you said, you know, SEPA's focus for you know, the first 15 years of its existence were solar and serving, really serving as a bridge between the traditional electric utility industry and the solar industry. And so as we talked about, as, sol as the solar market grew in the US, was, as we saw solar penetrations increasing, as we started to see penetrations getting higher and higher in places like California and Hawaii and Germany and, and, and other parts of the world. And we started to see things in the California duck curve is, is the easiest example, right? We start to see the penetration of solar beginning to create the duck curve issue in California. And we started to see that California policymakers and others were recognizing that unless you think more holistically about the system and about resources, solar can become a problem as you get to higher penetrations. And the last thing we want is for any technology, solar included, to become a problem as you have more and more of it on the system. So that led us to this conversation around, you know, how can we really help the industry think bigger picture, longer term, more holistically about how do we deploy all clean technologies in a coordinated fashion so that we don't hit a cap where 
too much solar becomes a bad thing or too much wind or too much anything. But in fact, you're able to enable greater penetrations because you're using these other resources to help balance it. And you're thinking about how you plan and operate the grid differently in a way that allows you to accommodate more of those resources. Right. So that was where sort of we initially started having a conversation in late 2013, early 2014 around essentially with our board of directors had a strategic visioning session where we said, you know what, let's, let's fast forward 10 years in the future. Let's forget that SEPA exists 10 years in the future. What type of nonprofit is the electric power industry going to need to help it? And what does that look like? And so we worked, we sort of imagined what the industry would need 10 years into the future. And we worked in small teams over a two-day visioning session. And it was really interesting that every team came back and presented to the whole group saying the organization would not be specific to a single technology, but that it would be more holistic. And that's what set us down the path of saying, you know what, it's probably time for SEPA to evolve for the S to stand for something other than solar is still a very important part of who we are, but it it should stand for more than, than solar only. You know, one of the most common struggles I hear from you solar developers out there is the management process for your portfolio of projects under development. And that's exactly why FTC Solar created Atlas. It's the answer to managing this complex process. Atlas simplifies the collection and storage of project-level information, putting everything related to the project quickly within the stakeholder's reach. This lets your experts in real estate, utilities, power contracts, technology, and finance all communicate much more effectively. To learn more and request a free demo, please head over to go.ftcsolar.com forward slash suncast. Or you could just click on the FTC Solar banner at mysuncast.com. 2017, the island of Puerto Rico was devastated, not just by Hurricane Irma, which was bad enough, but then steamrolled by Hurricane Maria. We covered it on the anniversary in September. And in particular, I think that you've been really transparently vocal on on LinkedIn and Twitter about your involvement. You're one of the executives in the industry who really has sort of taken the reins and said, this is our problem. What many are learning and what what others are um, perhaps unaware of is the transition of PREPA. PREPA is a bankrupt state-controlled utility here. Julia has spent 20-plus years working with all types of utilities across the United States and in the sector. Why is this so important to you? You have so much pulling on your time. How did you get involved? And then I'll say, I want to use these words and you can correct me. How did you get roped in to being on the transition board? So you might want to explain what that is. So, oh gosh, <laughs> there's so many directions I could take this, but lots of unpack here. <laughs> so yeah, lo- lots of pieces. I mean, so one is, gosh, going back, what's 2019 now, you yeah. know, going back five years or so ago, SEPA started an initiative called the 51st State. Mm-hmm. And the idea of that initiative was if there was a blank slate, a brand new 51st State that didn't have pre-existing regulatory constructs, rate designs, you know, sort of all of the legacy stuff that we have that's 100 plus years old in the existing 50 states. How would thought leaders and experts in the energy industry design things from scratch in order to 
optimize the use of the technology that we have today, you know, the things we know today, changing customer expectations. But, you know, if, if people had a blank slate, what would they do with it? And so because of that, when Hurricane Maria happened, our phone started ringing and everyone was saying, this is the 51st state, you know, both literally and figuratively, right? I mean, <laughs> in terms of, you know, given the fact that it's a territory that, you know, half the population is interested in it becoming the 51st state, but also in that the fact it was as close to a blank slate as we were going to get, at least from a physical grid itself. So we knew right away that we needed to do something. You know, the what was the harder question, but that started to come to light when I can tell you, it actually was on Halloween. It was October 31st. <laughs> we were having an executive team meeting and with outside facilitators that I started getting sort of emergency text messages from Gil Quinones, who's the CEO of the New York Power Authority. So finally, I step out of my meeting. I call Gil. What's going on? And he says, Julia, you know, Governor Cuomo really wants to do something to help Puerto Rico. He's putting together a whole group with the New York State to basically fund and lead the effort to figure out what the reconstruction needs to look like and what the build back plan needs to look like, but not just build back, but build back better. So Gil was calling to say that, that Governor Cuomo had asked him to lead the energy specific portion of the build back better plan. And Gil was calling me, asking me to be one of five members of a steering committee to oversee that work. Mm. So that was the first official involvement. And then my team helped write the microgrid and DER specific sections of the Build Back Better study. And then that just quickly, you know, sort of once you're involved in one thing, it leads to something else. And, you know, so it wasn't long after that when I got the call from somebody who served on the PREPA board of directors saying they were putting together a transformation advisory council, which would be comprised of primarily utility executives from the mainland, both mm -hmm. uh, sitting utility executives and some retired, as well as myself and, and one or two other nonprofit leaders to really help advise PREPA, not on the, the immediate reconstruction effort, mm -hmm. but on long-term transformation. So I've been involved with that group ever since November of 2017, currently co-chairing it. You know, I'm doing it Number one, just because personally, I feel like it's the right thing to do in terms of giving back. I've been in the industry a long time now. I feel like I have something to contribute. Come to love Puerto Rico. I feel like it's the right thing to do for the people here. So that's sort of one piece. But the other piece is, you know, going back to the idea of a blank slate. The one thing I've learned is it is not a blank slate here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's a lot of legacy stuff. It is incredibly complicated politically and, you know, possibly even more than any one of the 50 states, it is a very long road. Let's say it's a very long evolution to see this transformation happen, but it is also a great opportunity. If there is a place that can successfully transform and become a showcase for what solar and storage and energy efficiency and demand response and you know, all of these other things can do, this is the place. And so, you know, more than anything, it's just I'm involved because... I don't want to see the opportunity be wasted. What I really think that if I were on the other end of the earbuds here, I want to hear from you. Especially given your involvement in PREPA. When I was at Trina, 
I was a part of a development team that developed 300 megawatts of master power purchase agreements. My good friend, Luis Morales, was a part of a team that brought Enphase in and took 80% of the residential market and watched it blow up mm-hmm. and then just disappear. Yeah. Puerto Rico has a history of saying one thing and doing another. Everybody, we're all sitting here in Puerto Rico right now for Solar Power Puerto Rico, which is going to take place over the next couple of days. Why is now different? If now is not in fact different, what do we as an industry need to be focused on so that it's not another left hand and right hand conversation where the progressives are saying we should do this and they sign it into law, but every other piece of infrastructure pushes against it and keeps it from happening for three or four or five years. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, the rest of the United States is going forward. Mm-hmm. Washington just signed 100% renewables commitment in Chicago. Like it's yet another state saying 100% renewables, but I would argue that no state has more friction than Puerto Rico to actually accomplish it. Yeah. Why is it now different? And what do we as an industry need to be focused on? From a large-scale renewable standpoint, it's all about cost, Yeah. right? Now, I mean, what's different now versus five years ago is that it is extremely cost-effective for Puerto Rico to transition their fuel supply to renewables. Right. That just makes sense. So they're going to do that. Because of the infrastructure challenges? Uh. No, because of the fuel costs, right? I mean, the, the, they pay a lot for fuel. Mm-hmm. It makes them very dependent on sources outside of Puerto Rico. Do you have statistics on their avoided costs for those who aren't familiar? I, not off the top of my head. I'm horrible at numbers. There Is are it, no numbers that live in my head. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to bet it's round about somewhere between 19 and 23 cents avoided costs, which is not retail. It's a little less than that. It's a little less Because now. the retail price is about 23 cents. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Got it. So, but it's predominantly the majority fade. of their bill Bunk, yeah. is fuel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the majority of of a customer's bill is the fuel costs. Yeah. So I, I have no doubt that we are we will see a massive transition to renewables. Mm. The part that I think there's more uncertainty around mm-hmm. is larger. I don't want to say large, but larger scale versus truly customer sited right. distributed. Right. And there's different drivers. For those two pieces, right? So it's obviously given the experience customers have had with PREPA historically and with Hurricane Maria specifically, people want to be independent. They want to know if the power goes out, that they're in control. Yeah. You know, if the grid goes down, that they're still going to have power yeah. and that they're not relying on someone else for that. So there will be many customers who will choose to put in their own solar plus storage. But there are lots of customers that that's not going to be an option for. You have to sort of really think about and weigh the costs and benefits of the two approaches and say, you know, if you can get to 100% renewables, as the new Puerto Rican law says it needs Mm -hmm. to, there are reasons for some of it to be distributed. But those are different from climate reasons, right? You can get, you know, you can accomplish climate goals with all large scale renewables, but then you might be missing some of the resiliency value, you know, some of the energy independence value. So if the question for me is, is the split mm. between large scale and customer sighted. Mm-hmm. That is the part that's less clear to me. I have no doubt that Puerto Rico is going to make the transition to clean energy. But the definition beyond that is where it's yet, I think, to be clarified what that balance will look like. 
the utility serving market, the large scale project developers are almost non-existent this mm-hmm. week, right? I think that as an industry, the utility scaled providers have written Puerto Rico off. Mm-hmm. Personally, I think that that bodes well for the DG market. And we have, pardon the pun, a perfect storm of reducing, drastically reducing in the last two years pricing for storage. Companies like Sunrun, Sonova, massively innovating on DERs and the integration, their own decision to integrate storage at a subsidized cost for the future value of DERs. I think that this is an opportunity and I hear from you that you, you think that we're, that there's a fair chance simply from a fuel cost perspective that this is the right time. Part of what we're exploring here this week, I think all of us, is putting feet on the ground and saying, is this real? Are we going to move forward? I'm fascinated that your team was a part of the formulation of the DER strategy. Where would someone go to read that and to learn more about that data? Well, so that was a very quick turnaround study. Mm -hmm. So that was literally done in the month of November 2017 based on very preliminary information, but it's the Build Back Better report. So if you just Google Puerto Rico Build Back Better, it's a publicly available report that was initially put out by the state of New York, but then sort of additional sort of detail put in by the the governor's office here in Puerto Rico. That's all publicly available. For those who are eager to hear more about Julia's story, we will be featuring a second a second round of this where we'll dig into some of the other questions we post here. And I would ask you, Solar Warriors, what do you want to hear? What do you want to know more about with regard to SIPA, with regard to Julia? Is there anything that you would like to say to her or ask of her? Please shout us out on Twitter or LinkedIn. I know that she and I both are active in both places. You've been listening to Julia Hamm, President and CEO of the Smart Electric Power Alliance. Thank you so much for being on Suncast. Thank you, Nico. All right, Solar Warrior, thank you for sticking around to the end of today's conversation with Julia Hamm. What inspired you about this episode? I'd sure love to know about it. I know Julia would as well. Would you mind posting your thoughts over on LinkedIn and tagging Julia and myself? Or you can comment on the LinkedIn post that I've made about this episode. We're eager to hear how this one has impacted you. As always, you can find my Twitter handle and other social media outlets as well as resources and highlights from these discussions on the blog at mysuncast.com. When you click on the Listen link, you'll see the Episodes page for each and every episode. And you can download the show notes, social media and website links, and other goodies that are covered in each and every episode every week. And while you're over in the MySuncast website, I do hope that you'll check out our Suncast tribe, where you can be part of my inner circle of solar warriors and trusted advisors. If you click on that member button, you can learn more about how to gain access to uncut interviews and tribe exclusives that don't make it into the public Suncast feed. You can join our Suncast Slack group, our book reading club, so many other ways to plug in with the tribe of solar warriors that make up our audience. And of course, when you do subscribe to the newsletter, you'll be notified when the next episode is out or perhaps where I'll be next in the world. And speaking of next, don't forget to tune in next week where we'll get real with Jason Edens, founder of Real, the Rural Renewable Energy Alliance. And we'll talk all about an innovative new financing model that Jason is trying to bring to the world that might just replace the PPA as we know it. Hey, remember, you are what you listen to. And I truly value that investment of your time here today. 
Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>